Welcome to Dyslexia Explored. I'm Darius Nomderon, your host, and today I have an author with me. Uh, she began as a missionary to Albania, got shortlisted in a competition, and ended up being commissioned to write uh, some books for some tweens, the tween age, and is now writing for the new adult stage of, 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 of readers. She's dyslexic, she's from Scotland, and she's also an interpreter. She found that learning language in school was hard, but learning a language in, in the country was quite straightforward. I'd like to introduce you to... Now, I'm going to pronounce it properly now. <laughs> it's terrible. I haven't even written down your name. I've written down everything for uh, the podcast. But it's Karen Murdurasi. That's right. Okay, Karen Murdurasi, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's great having you here. I came across you through your blog. I was actually searching for dyslexia and joy, okay? Yeah. Enjoying dyslexia <laughs> and yeah. the joy of dyslexia and so on, because it's something yes. I'm passionate about. And there was very little there until I came across your blog. And then I saw you were in Scotland and I thought, right, we've got to get in touch with Karen. So welcome. Welcome on the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad you contacted me. I'm uh, intrigued to hear your story. And one of the things that I, I quite enjoyed about your responses backwards and forwards via email was, I'm not a normal dyslexic. I'm not your standard <laughs> dyslexic. I don't actually have any difficulty with reading. So we're going to come to uh, all of that as well, because some of our listeners will be going, how can you be dyslexic and not have any difficulty with reading? So we're, that's going to be uh, fun to unpack that. So Karen, we always ask the same questions just to get a, a rounded picture. We say, you know, what was life like before you discovered mm -hmm. you were dyslexic? And what was the wake up call for you? What was your main challenge? And what was the reward you got from that challenge? And then we'll drill down into there and unpack some of the things you, you, you've learned from that journey. So where did it all begin, begin for you before you found out you're dyslexic? Happy life? things going well, etc. And yeah, I mean, things were, were more or less okay before I was diagnosed or before I was discovered to be dyslexic because like a lot of dyslexics, I have quite high intelligence. I'm allowed to say that, aren't I? So you, you come up with techniques, you know, you, you can get around stuff. You don't realize that you're coming up with workarounds and you're working harder than everyone else. So I didn't know. I had no idea. I just wasn't as good at, like, it took me longer to learn to tie my shoelaces and my tie. And I would forget these things over the summer holidays and other children wouldn't. And the, the label careless followed me around in school. And I didn't feel that I had been careless, but my work would be marked as careless. And this was, that was how my dyslexia sort of expressed itself before I knew that it was dyslexia. Because, of course, I wasn't being careless. I just didn't have the same abilities in some things, particularly in handwriting. Um, and it was picked up, I was quite an age, I was 12 or 13 before it was ever actually uh, identified. And it was a teacher called Mrs. Reese, who was a physics teacher. And she noticed that when I answered in class, when I answered verbally, I could totally, I'd understood it, I could express myself, I was understanding what she was teaching. And when she looked at my written work, she just didn't find the same thing. And she had been trained in dyslexia, in um you know, in identifying and, and helping dyslexics and 
she was the first one to to notice that there might be something different about me. After that, I went to, I think it's the Dyslexia Association. It is down in England. I was living in England at the time and had assessments. And yeah, it turned out I do have many of the, the things um, that dyslexics do. Not the reading, as you said, like reading's not a problem, but many of the other things, memory and um, writing and so on, were problematic. So I got help with that. I had extra lessons with like memory techniques and I got purple glasses, which I should have brought to show you, but uh, I got I got a lovely little pair of very unfashionable purple glasses that helped me to read faster under artificial light and uh, are particularly useful for spreadsheets and anything with small lines, because while words in context are not a problem, anything with like little lines, I can't see how many there are. Not because I can't count, but because my eyes just won't, they kind of flick around. So that the purple glasses kind of nail them down a little bit, which is helpful. So I suppose at school, like the challenges were handwriting, especially spelling was a bit of a problem until I had the lessons and exams. I got extra time because again, it's the handwriting, it's the writing. It takes me a long time. I find now in adult life, the problems are completely different. No one cares what my handwriting looks like. Everything is done in type and I'm really good at typing. So that's great. Exams don't exist anymore for me. Spelling is not really an issue, partly because of the lessons, partly because of like autocorrect, which is great. So now it's it's more memory that bugs me now. I can't, yeah, I can't hold things in my head. My short-term memory is pathetic, and people will ask me like, "Did you have a good weekend? What did you do?" I don't know. <laughs> I have to think really hard. So that's that's probably how it expresses itself more now. It's memory. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So how did you, as a thirteen-year-old? 12, 13 year old um, respond to being identified with dyslexia? Um, I think it's quite hard to remember now. I think I was a little bit upset because it's, you know, there's certainly then there was a bit of a stigma attached, I think, to being dyslexic. I mean, on the TV, because it's quite misunderstood, or it certainly was on the television, it's like, oh, someone who was a bit unintelligent or struggled at school just you know with everything would be dyslexic and that's not really how it expresses itself but it's this idea that you're a bit hindered or stupid or you know that's quite hard to take but I think once you find out that there's so many other dyslexics and that there are societies that exist and there are resources and that's that's quite that helps I think and by the time I was finishing school I just totally got used to the idea. I didn't mind using the glasses. Everyone was used to the idea that I had extra time in exams. And I went to university. It was just totally acceptable. It was just part of the rich variety of life. So what would you say is your main challenge then? Or was your main challenge at the time? Was it At the time, it was, it was probably, it was exams, handwritten exams. Because this was, I mean, nowadays you'd probably get a computer but that was a bit rare. That was only for um, quite severe cases, and I have quite mild dyslexia. So it was the writing at such a speed that anyone else could read it. I can write, uh -huh. I can write fast, and I can write so that other people can read it, but I can't do both at the same time. Okay. So when yeah. you say you've got mild dyslexia, what do you mean by mild dyslexia? Hmm. Yeah, what do I mean by that? I suppose I mean it doesn't affect my life in significant ways, and most people don't know I'm dyslexic until I tell them. There's not, you know, they don't uh, see my emails and there's there's lots of 
misspell words, for instance, which is like a classic dyslexic thing. I I read for pleasure. I write, you know, I'm an author. So in some ways, it's just that I'm an atypical dyslexic. And in other ways, it's that it's more small, annoying, niggly things rather than major barriers for me. Yes, I think that's quite useful to, to discuss mild, moderate and extreme dyslexia. I would say I'm moderate. I, I remember when I went to get my assessment done, I said to my assessor, well, okay, I might be mildly dyslexic, you know, but is it is that big deal? You know, I just wanted to type in my exams um, in the second degree, you know, the second time I went to uni. But she said to me that, no, I had to take it seriously because it was affecting the way I was thinking and it was affecting the way I was learning and the way I was expressing myself uh, in ways that I didn't realize. And that kind of surprised me. And I think I think it's useful for people who are listening to think that it's not just extreme dyslexia that affects your life. You know, mild mm-hmm. dyslexia still affects you. Yeah in significant ways and can sort of trip you up in significant ways. So I think it's really helpful for people listening to kind of know that because I know I know some people like I've got some children in in the Bullet Map Academy which I run we tutor kids in who are dyslexia in how to mind map and what she's getting like 96% in some of her exams and so her friends are kind of like well you're not dyslexic you know (laughs) and and then there's other people who are much more extremely dyslexic who are really really struggling and they're kind of like how can you call yourself dyslexic and get 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 accommodations (laughs) and things like that what what's going on here you know and uh, it, it it can be a little bit uh, it can take a little bit of time to get used to the idea that there's different mm-hmm. ranges of dyslexia and yeah. they affect people in different ways. It's true. And even with mild or moderate dyslexia, it helps. There are, you know, there are techniques and there are tools that can help because, yeah, like you say, often you don't realize what you're doing differently from other people because you have to, because you don't know what things are easy for other people. So it's just more about kind of leveling the playing field that you didn't realize was tilted. But one thing that sticks in my mind was, um, I think it was when I was about to sit my A-levels, and I had one particularly unsympathetic psychologist. I can't remember her name, which is good, because she should remain nameless. But she said, oh, you know, yes, your your dyslexia is affecting you. But it just means you'll get Bs instead of As at A-levels. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, as a teenager, you're like, that doesn't matter? Yeah. But that was her view. It was like, it's you know, you'll still do fine. It's okay. Well, it is a common view, and a lot of teachers... Basically, have you heard of the term stealth dyslexia? What dyslexia, sorry? Stealth dyslexia. No. No, you've, you've, it's, it's, a, it's a term for what you have, which is stealth dyslexia is like a, a stealth bomber, okay? It, it, ah, right. it <laughs> flies under the radar, it doesn't get detected into the radar until it's right above you, and you can see it, and you're like, oh... <laughs> it's a bomber and it's kind of the same with this like stealth dyslexia and often one of the hallmarks of stealth dyslexia is that stealth dyslexics often teach themselves how to read mm. even though reading is still quite hard for them to learn but they use basically they use brute force intelligence to overcome 
a lot of low-level clerical work and low-level decoding tasks. It's just brute force intelligence to to overcome it. But there comes a limit. It's kind of like driving in first gear. Mm. If you're driving a Ferrari in first gear, you can get up to 60 miles an hour. If if you're driving a Ford Fiesta, you you top out at 30 and then you start noticing there's something wrong and you realize this kid's driving a manual car, not an automatic. We need to teach them how to go up the gears. Mm -hmm. And this kid's dyslexic because they've got a manual gearbox and this this child isn't because they've got an automatic gearbox. Same engines or, you know, the engines aren't affected. Mm -hmm. So you're just using using the brute force intelligence to, to hide it. And that's a common stealth dyslexia so you're now an author so tell us the story you know what how did you become an author did you want to be an author i think i always did but it's uh it's one of those things like you want to be you know a spaceman or something when you're a kid you don't necessarily then think you're going to end up doing it but i always wrote stories and i always suppose did i did want to be an author but yeah it came about when i was a missionary in albania and my mother told me that there was a competition from Scripture Union. There was a, a very famous writer called Rebecca Sinjin. She's a, a famous Christian writer who's written a number of books. And they wanted to find someone in that kind of line of that ilk, a sort of new Rebecca Sinjin. Um, so is it Sinjin or St. James? Anyway, the memory, memory is my struggle. Anyway, they wanted to find a new uh, sort of Christian author for young people. So. I immediately had ideas and thought, oh, yes, I could totally sum up my experience in Albania in this novel. And I entered the competition and I was shortlisted, which was great, but I hadn't actually finished. You only had to submit half of it <laughs> before you could enter it. <laughs> I was like frantically finishing the novel. And it was so it was, it was long listed, sorry, and then I had to finish. Uh, so then it was shortlisted. It was in the, the top three. It didn't get published at that point, but that kind of gave me the boost that I needed to, to start. So Eventually, I self-published that one, and on the strength of that, I was invited to write a couple of novelized biographies uh, for young people as well. And since then, I've had short stories published. Uh, I write for magazines. I've won a few other competitions, and yeah, it's um, it's in a sense, it's a dream come true. Although it's also quite hard and doesn't pay well. Yeah, yeah. Now. Let's talk about the dyslexia and writing, because there's a number of children mm. I know who are, you know, 12, 13 years old and are thinking, I'm dyslexic, but I would like to be an author as well. Uh, they would probably be interested in this story. Did you, going back to the teen years, when you were kind of dreaming that, you know, you had this pie in the sky idea of becoming an author, did you kind of talk yourself out of it because of dyslexia or anything like that? I don't think I did. And I think it's partly because I'm lucky enough to be born in an era of computers, or at least at least word processors, even like, you know, back in the dark ages when I was born, it was we still had word processors. So it wasn't like when people had to submit their handwritten manuscript in sort of the middle of the last century. So I knew that was less of a, a barrier for me. Otherwise, I think it really would have been because you do have an issue in exams and in all written work where someone will take a look at it and before they've read any of the content, they've written it off because it's it's like a spider crawled across the page. Yes, 
yeah, and then it'll immediately react worse to whatever the content is. But I was so lucky to learn touch typing. I learned touch typing both at home and at school, so they reinforced each other. And now I can touch type. I could type a letter with my eyes shut. My fingers just know where the keys are. Yeah. And once you've got that, I mean, it's hard to learn it, but once you've got that, you're just, it's such an advantage. I remember, I mean, there's a number of podcast guests who keep talking about touch typing as well and how important it is. And I think it's a, a crucial skill. Even in the realm of voice to text, it is very helpful mm. to touch type. Yeah. And I learned it at uni as well. And I didn't learn it properly. I just learned to put my two fingers on those little buttons mm -hmm. and feel for them every time. And then gradually I could look away a little bit and more and more. Yeah. Is that how you learned or did you formally learn how to touch touch? No, I formally learned with the programs where you start off with like, is it like J and F and then you add G and H and K and D and you just, you sort of do each finger and then you do the next line and then you do the line below it. And eventually it's muscle memory really. It's like dancing. It's not yes. your brain so much that's remembering as your fingers that are remembering it. And how old were you when you started learning? Uh, not too long after I was identified, so mid-teens probably. And yeah. was it because you were dyslexic that they said you need to learn how to touch type? I think it must have been. Um, we had it at school and I think that was just because computers were coming in more and were becoming more essential to life. But at home, I think that must have been because it was recommended for me. Yeah, I suspect so. So we've got to um, the questions where you began, uh, what woke you up, that teacher. How great is it to have a teacher who's alert to these sorts of things? Yeah. Do you want to give her a shout out? What was her name? You said, you mentioned Mrs. Her? Reese, Angela Reese. Mrs. Reese. Yeah. And then your challenge, the memory and, and the, the writing and the reward. You're now an author. So what's the next question? Do you, do you have the next question there? I, I haven't brought it up. Isn't that terrible? I normally... Well, you had talked mind. about doing a, a questionnaire or something or a, a list oh, of... Oh, yes. Yeah. Be because you're an atypical dyslexic, as you put it, or in other words, um, I have a quiz and we're just doing a dyslexia quiz at the moment. So I'll talk you through the quiz and see what your answers to our dyslexia quiz traits are. And you might be surprised that some of them are actually tra traits. So where is the dyslexia quiz? We're just about to launch this as an app. In fact, it's being right. it's it's in the app store today, getting um, uh, authorized. Right? Are you ready? I think so. Can you write down on a little bit of paper, like a a, a stroke for each one you say yes or? Each one you say okay. yes to, and then we can top them up at the end, and you don't need to remember. I will need a pen to do that. I have a piece of paper. I don't have a pen. Well, I'll do the totting up for you then. I'll, okay, I'll if I ask say yes, you, you do I'll... the shocking up. Yeah, okay. Here we go. Rapid fire. 50 questions. <laughs> Only 10 of them about reading. So question okay, number one. Is it just one. a yes or no, yeah? Yes or no, yeah. Question number one. My school bag is the biggest and heaviest. No. Or was, was in your case. No. Nope. Learning to tell the time was hard. Yes. I lose track of time. Yes. I forget when things are due. Yes. I'm naturally disorganized. Yeah. <laughs> I leave homework to the last minute. No. 
My room is very messy. No. I leave most projects and hobbies half finished. I leave most of them half finished. Uh, no. I can't remember my timetable. Yes. I need told what to do next. No. Okay, so you got five out of ten there. Reading. It took a long time to learn to read. Mm, I don't remember. I'm going to have to go neutral on that one. Okay. <laughs> I read slower than my friends. No. I don't like reading aloud. No. I skip letters and words. No. I reread sentences and paragraphs a lot. Yes. I lose my place. Yes. I use a finger or pen to read. No. I can't remember what I just read. Yes. <laughs> Comprehension tests are evil. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Right. So three out of the ten in that writing. I'm a slow writer. No. I'm an illegible writer. Okay. Do <laughs> you're a fast illegible writer. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Doodling helps me listen. Yeah. I write some letters in the wrong direction. No. I spell the same word differently on the same page. No. Telling the difference between there and there is hard. No. My paragraphs are massive. I don't know when to stop. No. As an author, you know about that. Text. I know. A lot of this would have been write. different if you'd asked me when I was 12, but I've yes. got better a lot of this. Yes. And, and in many ways, this is, I suppose this is kind of like, I should make it more clear that when I was in high school, mm. how many of these were right or wrong? Yes or no? Because yeah, we might have to go past go back over the last ones then because I think my paragraphs were long. I did spell the same word differently on the same page. Okay. Right. Yeah. We'll go we'll go past over we'll we'll do it as in when you were in high school since when I was instead in high school. Of, uh, yeah. When you're in high school. It took a long time to learn to read. We've done that. Read slower than my friends. I don't like reading aloud. No, I was okay with that. Okay. Skip letters and words. No. Rereading sentences and paragraphs a lot. Yes. Uh, lose my place. Yes. I use my finger or pen to read. No. I can't remember what I just read. Yes. Comprehension tests are evil. No. Nope. No. So it's kind of the same. Two. Two instead <laughs> of one. Right. Writing. I'm a slow writer. So in high school, I'm a slow writer. Yeah. Yeah. Doodling helps me listen. Yeah. I write some letters or wrote some letters in the wrong direction. No. I spell the same word differently on the same page. Yes. Telling the difference between there and there is hard. No. My paragraphs are massive. I don't know when to stop. Yes. Texts take ages to write or would have taken ages to write. <laughs> would have taken ages, yes. <laughs> um, I'm last to finish the board. Yes. Homework takes longer than my friends. Not sure. Go with no. Okay. My notes don't help me. No. Okay. Two, three, four, five, six. Rem memory. I ask mm. why a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need to sing the ABC to remember it. Maybe then. Maybe. 
Not anymore. I don't know my left from my right automatically. Took me forever, and that is why I wear a ring on my right hand, because I've worn a ring on my right hand since I was five, so I would know it was my right hand. So, no, you don't know your left and right <laughs> automatically. My memory is unreliable and random. Yes. Timetables are impossible to learn automatically. Yes. Aware. When I cook, I That's improvise. one of those things, sorry to interrupt you, but that's one of those things that you don't realise other people don't struggle with. You just think, oh, yeah. no one can learn a timetable. Obviously. Yeah, obviously timetables are impossible. Yeah. <laughs> obviously the eight times table is just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When I cook, I improvise well, but then immediately forget the recipe. Yes. Language classes are difficult for me. And we should talk about this. Yeah, we should talk about that. So yes, they were. Okay. I forget the third or fourth task, fourth task in a list. Definitely. My memory lets me down in tests and exams. Yes. Well, you got eight yeses out of the memory and only I did say that's few... the one I struggle with. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, this test is working. Mm -hmm. It's a quiz, it's not a test. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, results. I'm told to try harder a lot. I was told to try harder a lot. I was told to try or to be more careful, but yeah, same okay. thing. My work looks messy even when I try. Yes. I need people to reorganize my essays. No. When I speak, I pause to find the right word a lot. Yes, and I probably still do that. I mix up words in conversation. No. I need to speak out my thoughts. Yes. <laughs> I fear presenting in public. No. I don't finish writing stories or essays on time. No, I was always on time. I don't finish tests on time. Yes. I let myself down in exams. Yes, that was always a problem. Okay, so let's see what your score is. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 30 out of 50. So, that, I would say in the quiz terms, would be mildly dyslexic, potentially mildly dyslexic. So that's good. That, that, that's pretty accurate, isn't it? In that the main thing that really popped out was the memory section. Yeah. And then that final bit of the, um, you know, the results, you know, try harder, the messiness, yeah. et cetera, the tests. So let's talk about the, the languages, you know, Mm -hmm. It's a common thing with dyslexia that children with dyslexia have great difficulty learning a foreign language in school. And it's a known issue because basically you've got a lot more decoding to do, a lot more of that basic, you know, mm -hmm. language issues and processing that dyslexics have difficulty with. Tell us about your story. You're an interpreter. So... Mm -hmm. You make your your living, part of your living, from translating. Yeah, so I've obviously cracked it eventually. But yeah, I found um, languages hard in school, French in particular, I found hard. And I think that's probably because it's not the least bit phonetic. So you just have to remember all the silent letters in the words, mm. which, of course, for dyslexic is very hard. German was easier. 
so I never took any of my languages to A level. I did some at GCSE and I did it okay. Is this again it's this thing of like the high functioning dyslexic, you know, I, I got A's or B's, but I didn't do as well as I could have done as I did everything else kind of thing. But then I found that I think Latin was really, really helpful. Latin was very hard, but because you learn it in a different way, you learn it in a much more structured way, you don't learn to speak it. And once you've learned Latin, you can take a language apart. And I found that I have a very analytical brain so that when I encounter a new language, I can kind of take it apart. When I hear a sentence, I'm like, oh, that must be that. That must be functioning like this. So if I feel like if I go to a foreign country and I hear two sentences, someone else might hear two sentences and then they know two sentences. But I can usually break those down. And after hearing two sentences, I could form four sentences because I'm just after, I think it's largely Latin. I can break the language down into the sort of bricks of it and put it back together again. So often I call it finding the first principles, you know, that, mm. that hunger for first principles. Often I think with dyslexics, we don't rely on our memory of details. We remember rely on our memory of processes, of, of mm. a principle, and then we apply that principle and we end up with the the right answer so we're constantly mm -hmm. recalculating from first principles and often we end up with a different answer than your memory would get but it's often the right answer because circumstances have changed so that's kind of what you're doing there isn't it you know breaking things down to first principles yeah yeah i think that's right and uh... And also it helps that my uh, audio memory is a lot better than my visual memory. Right. So if I need to remember a number, if someone tells me a number and I have to type it in, if I, if I say it to myself, I can remember it. If I read it, I can't remember it. So I have to read out things. So right. they'll be in my audio memory. So yes. that helps when I'm in a country and picking up a language. It's different from in a textbook picking up a language. This podcast is sponsored by DyslexiaProductivityCoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. So you, when we ask the question, I need to, when I, I need to speak out my thoughts, you're, you're speaking them out not to process them necessarily, but to remember them. For both things. If I need to remember something, I will say it so that I'll remember it. I constantly talk to myself or I talk to the budgie, which is the same thing. Um, and I do find that I can't fully formulate my thought if I don't say it out loud, yeah. which is weird, but yeah. I actually, in some of my workshops, I, I teach people how to map out their thoughts. And so it's like a zero gravity workshop I talk about their thoughts like floating and most people have gravity in their workshop of their mind they work on something it just stays on the table they walk away it's still in the same place with dyslexia you walk away you come back it's all floating on the ceiling yeah and you're like uh and and then someone like me comes along or a teacher says that's not normal you've got dyslexia you need to find ways to stick all those ideas down yeah so what Anyway, what I do is I get folk to write down a list of all their ideas on the left-hand side, random, like a jigsaw puzzle piece. Just get all the pieces down on the table, empty the box, and then arrange them into the map. 
um, so there's some logical order rather than going straight into a random map. And then what surprises them is I say to them, I want you to talk through the map. And even if you're on your own, speak it out. Just re-explain it to yourself. And there's something about that that helps you process it much more than just mm. even talking in your mind. Yeah. And it's so common. Um, we need to get over this embarrassment about talking to ourselves, eh? <laughs> I so know there's a stigma learn... about that, of course, as well. But yes. yeah. Is it Albanian that you do the interpreting for now? Then? Yeah, I interpret Albanian. I speak a few other languages, but only to sort of tourist level. I speak uh, reasonable, moderate Esperanto, which I've just picked up during lockdown. But yeah, Albanian is the one that I'm fluent in. How many languages do you know? I mean, like to hold a conversation and order a coffee. Um, actually, see, the, I should know, but I don't. Every time I have to count on my fingers. Every time someone asks me this, so I speak like a little bit of French, German, Spanish, Italian, and Greek. So those are like the main ones, and then like the odd word or phrase, a little bit of Dutch, Esperanto, Albanian, obviously, and I can read Latin and ancient Greek. Wow. <laughs> I know, but not very well. This is what I have to okay. stress. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a prodigy. So how many are you fluent in then to have a conversation? Uh, just English and Albanian, yeah. I would okay. like to get there with Esperanto. I think that would be possible. But okay. uh, yeah, just the Albanian really. Fantastic. All right, so we've done the quiz. Let's go through our podcast questions, get back on track. That's why I've got them there, to keep <laughs> me on track as much as you. So we've talked about what rewards... What rewards have you gained from facing this challenge of dyslexia? Let's nail that one. What would you say the rewards have been for you? Um, I think you, with the memory techniques that I had to learn because I have a bad memory, I can, in fact, do surprisingly, I can be surprisingly good at memory tricks because I had to learn those. So things like pictures. So I, I'm quite good at remembering people's names, like at my church. People know that I tend to remember names and they'll come to me and ask what someone's name is. And this is not because I have a good memory. This is because I had those techniques and I'll meet a new person and I'll give them a, a picture or something funny or, you know, to try and remember their name. So it's so that's been quite useful. But I think also like over the years, hearing about the positives of dyslexia has been really good. Um, that wasn't something that I was immediately told about, but that's something I've come to learn about later on and I think some some people learned about that who weren't aware of dyslexics when do you remember Tim on The Apprentice I think no. it was Tim anyway he the won apprentice. The Apprentice one year and he was dyslexic <laughs> uh -huh. and he was able to visualize things in three dimensions now that's not one of the abilities that I have but uh -huh. just as we have different struggles we have different abilities related to the sort of unusual wiring in our brains so he could visualize like a 3D imaging program, something he was going to design. And that was because he was dyslexic, essentially. And I find that I can see patterns in data. So like I say, I have an analytical brain. I can break things down. I can see patterns that other people can't actually see, yes. which helps me. I sometimes do like survey analysis um, as one of my many side hustles. And I can just, I can look at data and it means something to me when it doesn't mean something to most people. You're so like just to know that the there's matrix. like there's fluffies. Yeah, exactly. I can read the matrix. <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
well, you know the guy who cracked the Turing code. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Turing isn't that his name? That's his name. Turing um, is his name. Turing um, is the the guy who invented computers. Yes. So yeah. Turing invented computers in order to decode the German military. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And he's dyslexic, and uh-huh. he actually brought together, I think, about fifty different dyslexics without realizing it. And they were all the code breakers. And yeah. so you, you've got a code breaking mind, as it were, it seems. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those things that people don't know about dyslexia. Yes, you're less likely to be able to read fast or write neatly, but you're also more likely to be able to crack codes and save the country. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. Like Turing did. Fantastic. So, your, you know, where, where do you see your advantages then that you, you're coming? You've talked about identifying patterns in code and you're just writing a, another book at the moment and you were talking yeah. about, yeah, you should share your, oh, you can't share your background to uh, everyone oh. else. I haven't <laughs> recorded this video. I should have recorded this video uh, on, on Zoom. Um, I was going to rely, I'm going to record it anyway. So you're, you're writing a book just now, and you just went to the um, Sorbonne. Is that is that the right pronunciation? Yeah, the um, Bibliothèque Interuniversitaire de la Sorbonne, so the inter interuniversity library of the Sorbonne, and they were very nice, and they showed me all around it and all the bits that the students don't even get to see. It's great when you're an author. You say, "I'm writing a book. Will you let me do X, Y, and Z?" And people tend to just say yes. Fantastic. Yeah. So what's the book about? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Uh, the, the book is based on, it's a modern day book, but it's based on an ancient legend. Uh, king Numa was one of the kings, the very early kings of Rome. He was basically legendary. And supposedly he wrote these scrolls with the help of a nymph, um, which were then buried with him. But when they dug them up hundreds of years later, and this is where history kicks in, uh, they did actually dig them up hundreds of years later. And they were considered to be so dangerous to the state that they were burnt without anyone being able to read them, apart from the member of the government who said these are too dangerous to exist. Which I I came across this in a footnote in Augustine's City of God and thought, like, what? Because I have a very what if kind of brain as well. And like immediately think, like, well, what was in them? And what if one of them survived? And where would it be now? And who would find it? So this is where the, the book comes from. Somebody finds one of these scrolls hidden in the lining of a book in the University of St. Andrews, but doesn't realize that there are still descendants of King Numa who are interested in keeping her away from them. Oh, I see. So the descendants yeah. of King Numa are trying to keep the scroll hidden. Hidden because of the dangerous contents, but they also don't want them destroyed because of their loyalty to King Numa. Okay. And yeah. you were saying that you're writing this for, for readers who are new adults, is that right? Yeah, I would say that's the... I tend to think that I'm writing for adults and then I get told that it's young adults, <laughs> which okay. makes, indicates something about my level of maturity. But because the characters are... Um, the main character is a postgraduate student, most of the other characters are students, so that's a new adult age group. Ah, I see. So it's not young adult, it's not teenagers exactly. It's kind of late teens, early 20s is what you'd call new adult. Okay. And how yeah. far are you along in the story? I am 30,000 words through the second book in the series. So that's 
just under halfway through the second book. Okay, so you've published the first book? No, I've written the first book. I would love to get it published. Um, I will keep working on the second one while I keep applying to publishers. Okay, so tell us a little yeah. bit about this journey you're going through at the moment of getting the first book published. How's that going? What What's your strategy? Uh, it's, <laughs> it's quite depressing. I'll tell you a funny story from Twitter that kind of uh, indicates what it's like. A woman said, a school asked, another author said, a school asked me to come in and tell the kids what it's like to be an author. And she said, no, instead of that, get them all to send me their best work. I'll ignore it for three months and then I'll tell them it was rubbish. And that's what it feels like because you're always submitting like your precious work and it's always like, not quite right for us. And it doesn't matter that you've been published before. I mean, it helps. It does help that you've been published before, but Every time it's like starting afresh in a sense. So because this is a different genre and a different age group, I just have to start trying to find either a publisher who will go with it or, and they tend to have very small lists. They don't take on very many books, the independent publishers. You can't submit to the big publishers by yourself. You're not actually allowed to, they'll just throw it in the bin. So if you want to submit to a big publisher, you need an agent and getting an agent is as hard as getting a publisher. But I have a book called How to Get Published, which goes through all of this trauma and tells you like what you need to do if you want to start getting rejections. <laughs> <laughs> I know a, a, a publishing agent in um, Edinburgh and yeah, he, his thing is to help authors learn how to get an agent <laughs> and, also, <laughs> and also help um, them build up a, a, a social network, a social media following and so forth in order to sort of justify or, or encourage, um, you know, you've already got some sort of audience that they can yeah. play to, you know, or publish to. And it's Yeah, that's them become very work. important these days. You have to show that you have an online platform and that you have some kind of a following. It, it gives them more confidence that they'll be able to sell your books. Do you have that? I do. Like I have a newsletter that not very many people get. I have my blog, um, which I, I large I write it for two reasons. I write it because if you have a blog, it keeps your website fresh and high up of the Google listings. And also because if I just moaned about things to my friends, they would get bored of it. So it's easier to just put it into a blog. <laughs> Fantastic. And where do people find your blog? Um, it's at kcmurderassi.com, which okay. uh, presumably will be in the program notes. We'll put my... them all in the notes yeah. and links to your stories and so on, your 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 books on wherever you can buy them. We'll put the links in the show notes. All right. So number five, we're, we're going through these slowly. What were your most <laughs> influential learning moments? Was it a, a person, a group, a course? What what? Looking back, what would you say are your influential? learning moments about dyslexia? Um, I think a lot of them, we've um, we've already covered some of the stuff I've talked about, the memory techniques, the the imaging, uh, thinking of an image to remember things, um, and the finding about the positives of dyslexia, that was definitely... How did you find yeah, out that about also... that? Did you read a book or was that...? I think you just started to hear about it more recently. Um, there's a dyslexia... What's it called now? It's not the Dyslexia Association of Scotland, but it's Dyslexia Scotland, I think it is, that I get their yeah. newsletters. And I've written for their blog a couple of times. 
and they talk about the positive. They're very much focused on the positives of dyslexia. Um, and yeah, there are books. There's some. Um, there are books about like the the gift of dyslexia. Is, uh, have you the read the Dyslexic Advantage? I don't think I have read it. No, but I mean, I, I'm kind of aware of the existence of them. Yeah. Yeah, Dyslexic Advantage is, was a very significant book, and I think it sort of reframed a lot of people. It's it's a really well written and documented, researched book. You know, it's sort of accessible to the layperson, but also very rigorously researched in the background mm. and referenced. It's incredible. Okay. Mind mapping. What's been your experience of mind mapping in your journey? I have tried mind mapping, um, spider diagrams and so on, but I find that it doesn't really help me. I don't know, just doesn't, maybe because I haven't tried the, the um, voicing it afterwards, but I've never found it particularly helpful. But one thing that I did notice from, I had a look at some of your mind mapping material, and I do notice that I use color. It's uh, it's like another dimension, so I can look through my notes. And quite often, once I've made the notes, I'll go back through them, especially if I'm writing an article for a magazine or, or something or a chapter for a book. I'll go back through them and I'll underline the things that apply to different themes in different colors so that I can then immediately go, I'm writing a paragraph about, let's say, um, the historical Robin Hood as, as a fictional character in other works. And that'll be in green. Whereas if I'm writing about... Uh, other aspects of medieval life at that time that'll be in red so I can immediately look through and find it because I don't scan text very well so color coding is something that works for me okay so this will be interesting for some children who are doing that sort of analysis in high school for example to another level so you would choose a color. Could you explain that a little bit more? How you would decide what colors go with what? Um, I would essentially just choose them at random. So let's say I've taken a, uh, a lot of notes on the French Revolution, just for example, and I've taken them from books and I've just taken them as the book went in a linear fashion. Anything that was useful to me, I have noted down. And I have a page of, un they're related in that they're the French Revolution, but they're not they don't follow on from one another. And I might want to talk about uh, what led up to the French Revolution. I might want to talk about this, the uh, different people who were involved in it, the major characters. And I might want to have important quotes that I can pull out. So then I just choose a color for each one. It doesn't matter which color. So it might be yeah. the social conditions might be blue. Important characters might be green and quotes might be red and it doesn't matter as long okay. as I'm consistent and then I go through again with my three colors and when I find something that fits into one of those themes I underline it and then yeah. at a glance I have my categories got you and you decide those categories in advance that's what I was wondering you know how do you decide what the categories are no I think the categories come after I've planned it so I just take down anything that might be useful okay. and then once I've kind of got that all in my brain I'll think about how I'm structuring it and what I want to say. And once I've got an idea of what it is I want to cover, I'll go back through my notes, finding what fits into the things that I want to cover. I see. So you yeah. you discover the categories at the end and reread yeah. and then yeah. categorize. Yeah, right. Got you. So advice to your teenage self. If you could go back in time to your 13-year-old self and send a card 
to yourself? What would the front of the card say and what would the message inside be? I don't know. The front of the card might say cheer up or something in big letters or possibly don't panic, which is a nice uh, Hitchhiker's Galaxy reference. And inside, I think I would like to say you're good at so many things. You should focus on the things you're good at and don't get stressed about the things you're not good at. Did you get stressed about the things you weren't good at? I think, yeah, I, mean, I think I did. You get frustrated and uh, and stressed at not being like other people, not being able to write neatly or uh, yeah, take everything, everything down from the board. That was, I de- definitely identified with that in your quiz, like they're wiping it off and I haven't finished. So yeah, that kind of thing is stressful and frustrating. But then there's so many things that, you know, like you look at a person of that age now and the, the amount of potential, the things they could do with their life, you know, it's... They can't see that, but you can see it looking back. Yes. So, tools for organizing, gadgets, apps. What what kind of tools do you use? What's in your toolbox? Okay, I use Todoist, which is a to-do list, basically. There are other to-do lists available. I use Todoist, it's called, and you just stick in whatever you want. You can categorize the things you need to do into different categories or you can put it in your inbox to categorize later. And then as you do them, you tick them off. And this is really good for people who cannot remember the stuff they need to do. And I can't, yeah. you know. So I, I look at it many times a day. It tells me what I need to do today and I can look ahead as well. And anything I need to do, I put it in that. So that's very handy. I always have paper and pen lying around, although I failed here, I didn't have a pen, but that's because I moved my workstation. <laughs> um, so yeah, paper and pen, uh, writing things down on the phone. My purple glasses are useful. Um, as I say, it, they don't make any difference in daylight for my reading, but I do read faster in artificial light with the glasses. Okay. Um, and again, like the anything with small lines, spreadsheets, uh, even on a clock, you know, the, the little minute lines on a clock, things like that are easier with purple glasses. But I can also, in Word, you can put on a purple background if you like, which is helpful. Um, yeah, making notes is also quite good. I have written down, like, because I knew you were going to ask me these questions. You told me about them before, so I've written down things so I wouldn't forget them. Uh, so synchronized calendars is another thing. Again, I would just forget appointments. So I have Google uh, Calendar on my phone, also on my computer. And as long as I put it in there, I know I always have access to what on earth I'm supposed to be doing. And the other thing I thought was, this is specific to being an author, but because I'm very interested in history and all these kind of things, and I've written you know, a book about Robin Hood and, and many, many articles about historical figures, but then later on, I can't remember them. The, you know, the facts have gone. So they're like, they're like little memories for me. I can read through it and go, oh, yeah, I remember that about Robin Hood because obviously I wrote this book. <laughs> yes. So what, I didn't quite catch what your hack was there. The book is the memory? Uh, yeah, or... for me, because I've written a book that remembers this stuff for me. Uh, I see. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. your, those are your notes. Your memory yeah. notes is the book. Got you. Mm-hmm. So in a practical way for people who are listening, you know, like, I think there is something valuable about taking what you're learning and turning it into some product, some mm. end result, whether it's a piece of art or a poem or music or taking it all the way to being um, completed, as it were. I remember that in my life, 
when I got to that point of actually finishing something, um, <laughs> there was there was something very valuable about it that sort of consolidated that learning. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, which you've obviously done in those books. Is there anything else that you would like to share to those folk who are listening? Any kind of, you know, stories, anecdotes, thoughts, words of wisdom? Parents who are listening, a lot of parents listening to this, and also tutors and teachers. Yeah, I mean, I did, um, I did think about the parents' question. I'm not a parent myself, but I think, in my, you know, unbridled wisdom as a non-parent, I think the main thing is just not to panic and not to see it as a as a dreadful thing that your child may be dyslexic and you do get people who try and shy away from the possibility as if denying that their child might be dyslexic would help them in some way mm. i think it's just i think just be open to the possibility that your child could be dyslexic and that's okay it's fine like it's a it's a range of both difficulties and benefits it's not something to be sad about Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Well, it has been great having you on the podcast and um, hearing about... So we started this conversation, actually, saying that you're dyslexic, but you had no difficulties in reading. Mm. Why don't we just finish off with that? Um, so looking back and remembering back, do you have any sort of learning to read memories or you know what was it like learning it's to read interesting because well i don't really remember learning to read and then i learned to read greek and because that's a different alphabet you're learning to read again and i thought oh this will be really good because i don't remember that moment of when it stops being you have to work out each letter and you start just looking at it and seeing the word i don't remember that and then one day I realized that I was doing that with Greek and I just missed the moment. I just didn't notice it happening when it went from working out the letters to reading the words. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> so again, the second time you did it, it just sort of happened. Yeah, I didn't I didn't notice yeah. the transition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, Karen, before you go, mm -hmm. why don't you tell us a quick synopsis of the books you've written? Well, all of them. Yeah. How many have you written? Um, well, again, this is you asked me a question about how many anything. I'm not going to know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, randomly. Okay, like, let's do it really what quickly. The, what were they and what were they about? Okay, Leda is a novel about a little girl growing up in Albania. Communism falls. She learns about Christianity. Her father tries to marry her off. Her best friend nearly gets trafficked and they flee the country. Um, then Life of Augustine. It is an intellectual quest, uh, a young man looking for the truth in all the wrong places and eventually finding it in Milan, of all places. Um, then Patrick, oh, very interesting, start of the Dark Ages, kidnapped by pirates, that's got to be good, enslaved, comes back, goes back over again, gets shipwrecked, nearly starves to death, very exciting. Then what else have we got? We've got a book on Robin Hood, which is called, I'll just give you the title, it tells you everything, um, Why Everything You Know About Robin Hood Is Wrong featuring a French maid, a pirate monk, and a surprising number of Morris dancers. Fantastic. Uh, and apart from that, I've got how to get published, which doesn't guarantee that you get published, but at least tells you how to start. 
and then it's uh, Office Life and you Death. You wrote the book is... How to Get Published. <laughs> I know. I have been published, though. I'm not entirely unqualified. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. And uh, anything else? Yeah, Office Life and Death, uh, which is um, is a short is a collection of short stories for anyone who's ever suffered through life in the office. Yeah, in one of them, in the uh, one of the stories, in it, a secretary accidentally kills her boss, but because he's so work shy and she does everything for him anyway, no one even notices. <laughs> <laughs> and the book coming uh, ahead. Do a synopsis of that. Uh, yes, that's. Um, oh, I had a I had like a three line synopsis that you can do. What is it? A scroll that wasn't meant to exist. A girl who wasn't meant to find it. And a, 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 and people who will stop at anything, uh, stop at nothing to prevent her from getting it. You get the idea. It was better than that written down. Fantastic, Karen. Well, it has been fantastic having you on, Karen. I think we'll say goodbye to those listening. Okay. Right. Thanks for being here. And if you are listening for the first time, this podcast has been brought to you by Bullet Map Academy. We host this podcast. And if you want to know more about how to organize your thoughts visually with doodles and branches and colors and doing handwritten notes in a visual way, then this is the place to go. Go to bulletmapacademy.com. And if you want to come to a workshop, go to bulletmapacademy.com forward slash workshop and you'll find out more. Now, for all that Karen shared, there'll be links in the show notes to Twitter and whatever links you've got there and the books and the blog. Uh, We'll link that down in the show notes. You can click and find out more about Karen's work. Thanks, Darius. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where Dyslexia Productivity Coaching comes in, because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.